Merry Christmas. If you have a Bible, take it, turn it to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. I considered just plowing through Mark 11, but I figured maybe it's time to take a break. Let's, let's go to Luke 11. We're going to be looking at verses 26 all the way through 38. It's God's word for us this morning. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who is called barren, for nothing will be Impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. It's God's word for us. Let's go to God now and ask for his blessing upon it. Holy Spirit, thank you for this this miracle that we read about that you performed. God, thank you for Holy Spirit, we, th- we thank you for your word that you inspired that we just read. God, we, we ask for you to do more miracles here among us in, in regeneration, in, in, in new births. God, that you can open our eyes so that we can see the truths of your scripture and how they apply to us in our sinful state. God, I, I pray that this can be a refreshing time for us as we just stop and consider what you've done for us, what that means. And I pray that you can be glorified in this room through um, a people submissive to the authority of your word. Just say, we're merely your servants and what you say goes, what you say is true. Give us that spirit and help us apply this word to our lives now. In your name, amen. This morning... um, since we didn't have small group, I uh, turned on for Madeline's first ever viewing a Charlie Brown Christmas, which I'm a pretty big fan, if you didn't know that. And in, in a Charlie Brown Christmas, we, we see Charlie Brown is feeling pretty bummed out, right? He, he is getting a little sick of the commercialism of Christmas, and this was an 1965, okay? So they're, they're getting a little sick of the commercialism of Christmas, Charlie Brown is. And so he's just like, you know, which is the most Christmas thing in the world, saying it, it doesn't feel like Christmas this year. 
And so he's just wondering what's going on. And one thing that really struck me watching a Charlie Brown Christmas this morning is these kids are pretty mean to Charlie Brown. You ever notice that? I mean, they're like really beating him up. You can't do nothing right, Charlie Brown. And he's just getting more and more bummed out. And it, it makes a lot of sense. And he's trying, you know, he goes and sees a psychiatrist, um, see if he can get some help. It costs him a nickel. doesn't help. And uh, eventually he's, he's trying to run this play and just cries out in absolute despair, can't anyone tell me what Christmas is all about? And you know what happens next. We, we watched a video of it a couple weeks ago. Linus says, I can, and takes center stage in the spotlight, hits him, and he recites Luke 2, the Christmas story in Luke 2. And it's this wonderful mo- moment in the movie where it just is this moment of resetting and, and recalibrating, and it's almost like you can breathe and, and, and remember what Christmas is in, in the midst of a lot of busyness and hectic times and, and, and plans and schedules and Christmas gifts that maybe you still have to buy, even though it's Christmas Eve, I don't know. No judgment here. But I hope today um, that this time in the Word can, can have a similar effect where we can just recalibrate and reset and breathe and remember what Christmas is. There can be a lot of pressure, busyness, distraction, but none of that's what Christmas is about, as we know. Um, Christmas is about what we just read. And in I want to remind you of that as we walk through this story, but also maybe not remind. Maybe this could be perhaps the first time the Lord opens your eyes to see the true meaning of Christmas. So, looking at Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26, this passage starts off with an angel with a name. Okay, so this angel is named Gabriel, and this angel makes a visible appearance to a human being. And we know, you know, that does not happen Every day. So obviously, this is a big deal. And you might want to ask, you know, what kind of person would the angel Gabriel come and visit? You would have to assume it would be a very important person, right? Somebody who, uh, you know, has garnered the attention of God. Maybe somebody like a rich young ruler, you might even think. But no, the angel doesn't visit anybody like that. Look at verse 27. The angel visits a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. It's not someone important at all, but instead it was a virgin girl named Mary. Now, as you probably know, if you've been around people for any amount of time, people can get kind of weird about Mary. Some people worship Mary. Some people pray to Mary. Some people believe Mary was sinless. I'd reject all those things. Um, I think the Bible's pretty clear that Mary was a normal, sinful teenage girl. Probably around 12 to 16 years old, engaged to be married. Mary was a teenage girl who probably thought the same things that any teenage girl thinks about. She was just a normal, sinful teenage girl. But in verse 28, we see this angel, Gabriel, bring good news to the Virgin Mary. He came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Verse 30, he says, You have found favor with God. 
Now let's be clear, Mary is a normal, sinful teenage girl, and Mary is only favored because of the amazing grace of God. This is the grace of God visiting Mary. Mary is a normal, sinful teenage girl, but God visits her anyway. God chooses her for this extremely holy task. And so in this Christmas passage, in this angelic visit to a virgin girl, we clearly see how generous and gracious our almighty God is. And that's why Mary responds. Look how she responds later in this song. If you flip the page to verses 46 through 50, I don't think this will be on the screen, sorry, but it says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Do you see how Mary describes herself in this song of humble estate? of receiving mercy, of, you know, um, being the humble that's exalted, the humble estate, being hungry but filled with good things while the rich are sent away empty. Mary is recognizing that this angelic visit is nothing else but the grace of God. This was grace given to Mary. I hope you see this. But also I want to point out that this was grace given to you and me. What we read about what we read about at Christmas, what we read about in this story, is God's grace to us. As a human race, we did not deserve Christmas. You look around at how we act, how we behave, how we talk, what we choose to do with our time. As a race, it's clear that th this is not something God owed us to be born of a virgin, to, to come into this creation to save us from our sin and our brokenness. No, we did not deserve Christmas. This was not something God was required to do. So I want to encourage you this Christmas to see Christmas as a gift. And I want to ask, do you see it as a gift? Or do you just see it as something that has to happen, something that had to happen? Do you see Christmas as a gift? I mean, yes, the, the season as we experience it is from the grace of God as well. You know, the songs and the lights and the trees and the, the vibes of Christmas. All those are, are, are from, from God. They're something we don't deserve. They're God's grace. But what I mean is the fact that at Christmas, God entered into his own creation, which is the most surprising mind-blowing, gracious plot twist of all time. Christmas exists because of the grace of God. And all praise this Christmas should be given to His name. Something we did not deserve. But it's happened. And we should sing with this normal teenage girl as, he, as she sang that song, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. That song we read is how Mary eventually responds, but that's not how she immediately responded. Look at verse 29. 
But she was greatly troubled at the saying. Isn't that interesting? And tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. I mean, all the angel Gabriel has said at this point is, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But uh, this troubled Mary. One thing to remember is that angels are pretty terrifying. Okay, this would not be like a super gentle, silent night. I mean, angels, this would be a, a showstopper, okay? So, little Virgin Mary, teenage girl just hanging out, um, and then all of a sudden, boom, angels are before you. This would be a stunning scene. Not expected at all. And so, Mary has this surprise meeting with the angel Gabriel. And even though he has a cheerful message, Mary is trying to figure out what's going on, and it gets even more confusing when the angel gives this prophecy in verses 31 through 33, which says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Okay, so every single parent has high expectations for their kids. Especially right there at the birth. Right? It's like, what's this kid going to be? This, this is a, a, on a different level, right? I mean, think about what's being said here about this son that's going to be born. This son will be the son of the Most High. This son will be holy. This son will be great. In other words, this is not a normal boy that's going to be born by this Virgin Mary, but instead, this is going to be the Son of God. And in that phrase, the, the Son of the Most High, <coughs> we see the stunning wonder of the Incarnation, which is this idea, Incarnation just means made flesh. God at Christmas, became flesh. We read that in John 1.14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God, who doesn't have a body, who is spirit, who's eternal, willingly took on human flesh. The one who, as Hebrews 1.3 says, upholds the universe by the word of his power, became a small little baby and was held by this sinful, normal teenage girl in her arms. Imagine this, the creator of all things, becoming created flesh. Reminds me of the great hymn that says, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased is man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. We could spend, you know, hours upon hours dwelling upon the incarnation. This is truly something that kids can understand, but the greatest minds in the history of the universe spend their lives thinking about. So just ponder it for a second. God took on flesh, dwelt among us. The Son of the Most High will be given, as we see in this prophecy, the throne of David. We talked about this last week as we read the prophecy, 2 Samuel 7, if you want to look up that later, Isaiah 9, 6-7, I think we'll read that tonight. In other words, his son's going to be born, but he's born to be a king, and to be a king eternally. We see that, you know, where it says he will reign forever in verse 33, of his kingdom there will be no 
end. <coughs> Could you imagine getting that prediction for your future kid? You would have some questions. Mary does as well. Verse 34, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now, that is a good question, is it not? Mary's like, hey, I've got some questions about what it means for this boy to be the son of the Most High. I've got some questions about what it means to be a king forever, especially because everybody dies. But let's just start at square one. I've got a question that's biological. How is all this going to happen if I'm a virgin? Mary asked that question because she was a virgin. And Mary asked that question because she knew that virgins don't have babies. These are all facts that the Bible understands, by the way. Gabriel responds in verse 35 and says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. In other words, the Holy Spirit is going to make you pregnant. This is pregnancy with no sex involved. Consider how God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. And in Genesis 1-2, it said, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. In the same way, the angel is saying that as that was a creation, ex nihilo, which is Latin for out of nothing, in the beginning, this is going to be the same thing. Creation, ex nihilo, um, out of nothing, this baby is going to be formed. God created the universe. He can do this as well. right? That, that's a pretty easy step. God created the world. He could create... A baby or an embryo. That's why many have said it's, it's not the, the birth of Jesus that was miraculous. That's, that was fairly normal, right? But it was more so the, the conception of Jesus that was miraculous. This baby was, was conceived by the Holy Spirit inside of a virgin's womb. Now, uh, taking a step back, I want to at least recognize the skeptics in the room this Christmas. Maybe you're here because it's tradition. Maybe a family member drug you here against your will. Uh, maybe you're here simply because you're looking for hope. And then this has got to be pretty tough for you. So, because so far we have talked about angels, we've talked about virgins giving birth. Uh, we've talked about prophecies being fulfilled. We've talked about, uh, and well, really everything we've talked about is all based upon the historical reliability of the New Testament. And so you're just sitting here thinking, I should have never came. This is really hard. Here's what I want to say to you. First of all, I think it's really good you're here. Thank you for coming if you're, if you're skeptical, if you have doubts. I want to point out that Mary had questions and that was okay. That's what we read. She said, hey, how's this going to happen? Verse 34. But uh, I hope to help you out, maybe, in this, in this very skeptical age we live in and why I believe what we're reading. Number one, you'll often hear people say certain things like, virgin births don't happen, that's really unscientific to believe that. The Bible would agree with that, okay? The Bible is not claiming or arguing that virgin births happen all the time. Uh, the Bible is 
the, the whole point of the passage is this is a spectacular thing. Does that make sense? Where Luke's saying this is one of the most incredible things to ever happen in the history of the universe. I've got to write it down. Okay, if, if the Bible just thought that virgin births happened all the time, it wouldn't be in the Bible. We wouldn't be impressed with it. So if you're like, that's, that's a little hard to believe. Okay, you're right there with Luke. You're right there with me. You're right there with historical Christianity that says, yeah, this is spectacular. Virgin births don't happen all the time. It, it, it should be a little hard to believe and stretch you. This is the work of God. Number two, uh, or three, I don't know. I know this is a wild and hard to understand story. Um, or not hard to understand, but hard to believe for some of us. But what I want to encourage you with is that there is no logical explanation of the universe that is not hard to believe. There's, there's no other, you know, the atheistic view of the universe is that in the beginning there was nothing. And all of a sudden there was everything. And the universe is exactly fine-tuned for us to live in it. And that happened for absolutely no reason. That's also wild and hard to believe. Right, that's a, that's, you got, you got to stretch yourself a little bit there to, to believe that. One writer said, Christians believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. Atheists believe in the virgin birth of the universe. Choose your miracle. So I just invite you to choose, the, choose to believe the miracle of the virgin birth with me. Even though it's a wild and hard to believe story. Say, so yeah, it is hard to believe. But I believe it. Fourth, I just want to point out to you how beautiful this story is. So, yes, it's, it's uncommon. We're not claiming the virgin birth happens, you know, every week. It happened once. And, yes, it's hard to believe, but everything's a little hard to believe. Um, so, you know, take, take those doubts aside and then look at the, the beautiful nature of this story, that the Holy Spirit will come upon this young virgin, miraculously conceive a baby. That baby will be born and live the most beautiful life in the history of, of mankind, where he never once sinned, where he serves like no one has ever served, and he loves like no one has ever loved, but then he's betrayed by a friend, hung on a cross like a criminal. But that crucifixion was not a sad accident, but instead Jesus was born so that he could do that. Jesus was born so that he might die on the cross. As Jesus himself says in Mark ten forty five. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Do you see that? Jesus came. He says, I came to give my life. He was born to give his life as a ransom. He was born to die. And Jesus Christ died. But he did not stay dead. He was raised back to life ascended to the right hand of the Father, and one day soon He will return to judge the living and the dead and to make all things right. Set up His eternal kingdom. That whole story, I'll submit to you, is wild and hard to believe. I know it sounds impossible, but it's true. It's happened. And it was accomplished by this man to solve the impossible problem of how a sinner like yourself could enjoy a relationship with the Holy God, with your Creator. And that is your biggest problem this Christmas, is that your sin separates you from your Creator. Romans 3 says, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. 
No one understands. No one seeks for God. Isaiah 59, 2 says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Hebrews 9, 27 says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Romans 2, 4 through 5 says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Do you see how those four verses paint your problem? You're a sinner, and your sin have made, has made a separation between you and God. And you're going to die and stand before that holy God one day. And because of your sin, you're going to have wrath on the day of judgment. That is your biggest problem. What do you think is your, your current biggest problem on Christmas Eve right now as we sit here? you think it's money? Maybe after buying all those presents, do you think it's health? Maybe lack of health is your biggest problem. Perhaps it's boredom, even right now. A theologian, D.A. Carson, said, If God had perceived that our greatest need was economic, he would have sent an economist. If he perceived that our greatest need was entertainment, he would have sent us a comedian or an artist. If God had perceived that our greatest need was political stability, he would have sent us a politician. If he had perceived that our greatest need was health, he would have sent us a doctor. But he perceived that our greatest need involved our sin, our alienation from him, our profound rebellion, our death, and he sent us a savior. Aren't you thankful for Christmas? God sending a Savior to this world to save us from our sin. That's what it says, 1 Timothy 1.15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world Christmas. Why? To save sinners. My friend, we are all sinners, me included. We've broken God's law. We're not on good terms with our Creator. But God sent us a Savior to be born in a manger. Born to die. Born to give His life as a ransom. Born so that He could save sinners. Are you a sinner this morning knowing that you need a Savior? About that verse, 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I, I read a quote from Spurgeon just yesterday that pointed out that there is no other word between those two words, save and sinners. It's not save some type of sinner. It is, there's no other qualification that you need this morning besides being a sinner. So if you are a sinner this morning, if you have broken God's law, if you are broken over your guilt, realize that you are qualified for this Savior who has came into this world, who was born of a virgin into this broken world so that he could save sinners like you and me. As the great hymn says, all the fitness he requires is you feel your need of him. Do you see your sin this morning? Are you broken over it? Then run to Jesus. 
Put your trust in Jesus this morning. Receive the grace of God by believing in Jesus. He's able to save you. He came for that purpose. Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. As we read so many times, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. So this morning, what Christmas is all about is for you to repent of your sins, to forsake your empty life, and believe. I know for some of us that can be the hardest thing to do, to, to believe. Maybe right now even ask the Holy Spirit for help. To believe in the virgin birth. To believe in the sinless life of Christ. To believe in His death on the cross. To believe in His resurrection from the dead. To believe that He's coming back to make all things right. Do you believe that this morning? This Christmas, believe in Christmas. Place your faith in this beautiful and true story. But more than that, place your faith, place your life, place your eternity into the hands of a Savior, Jesus Christ, who can save you, who came for that purpose. Finally, our last verse I want to look at, verse 38. We have this beautiful response from Mary. It would have been so incredibly easy for Mary in this moment to resist or to argue or to complain or to avoid what the angel had told her. But what does she say instead? Verse 38, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Is that not a beautiful statement of faith from Mary? It's going to be a hard road for Mary. Pregnancy is not easy, from what I've heard. The public shame that would come with a pregnancy pre-marriage would not be easy. Raising the Son of the Most High is not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. She's going to have a hard time. She could see some of it, I'm sure. Nevertheless, she trusted that God's plan was greater than her plan and said, let it be to me according to your word. And this sinful, normal, teenage girl in this moment shows such humility and courage and strength. And most of all, she shows faith. And she is an amazing example for us to follow this Christmas. So in what area of your life do you need to submit and say, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Where do you need to say that? Um, it might be about your family Christmas tonight. Uh, you might need to say that to God about your eternity. Maybe, maybe there's something you've been struggling with or troubled by. And you need to say, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I pray that all of us this Christmas can look a little bit more like this normal, sinful teenage girl. Be full of humility and courage and strength and full of faith. Specifically when it comes to the message of this normal, sinful teenage girl's son, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I pray right now in this room that you will search the hearts and minds of everyone here. 
God, lead us to faith in you. God, help us be more like Mary. And help us look to our Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the gift. I pray that you give us eyes to see it more clearly. God, I pray for anyone here who doesn't know you, that you will um, draw them to yourself. God, open their eyes so they can see the glory of Christ. For the believers in the room, Lord, I pray that we can recalibrate and reset and remember and breathe to know that the gospel is true. It's the best news. Joy to the world. God, I pray you can bring joy to our hearts knowing that our biggest problem has been solved in Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Thank you for being born, born to die in our place and for our salvation. May continue to praise you now. In your name, Jesus. Amen. If you'll stand and respond.